As I've said before in the weeks gone past, if you're joining us midway, you can catch up on this series um, on our KBC podcast, which is available on our website, on iTunes and Spotify. And all the uh, gatherings that we've done online are available on YouTube, so you can go there as well. So part 12, um, and this allows us to finish off chapter 2 today. So part 12, I'm finishing off chapter 2. And as we uh, do that, let me remind you what we saw last week. So God, through the blood of Jesus, has made a new race. He has broken down the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between all races and ethnic and social groups, and has not only made a way for peace to exist between those groups, but for peace to be established eternally with those groups uh, and him. So, having that in our minds from last week, we read on from verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. So get a Bible, turn there, and I'm going to read from verse 19, then we'll pray. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place place for God by the Spirit. Father, this morning as we close out chapter 2 of Ephesians, we pray that you would help us to complete this picture in which Paul is trying to show the Ephesian church and show us. Lord, may it be an encouragement to us and a challenge also, we pray. So speak to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In June 17, uh, during my second year of, this, of my studies in the Irish Baptist College, I spent just short of three weeks in Peru, South America, with a missionary organisation called Baptist Missions. Some of you will know that organisation. That's just over 6,000 miles away, Peru. Uh, 6,000 miles away from Northern Ireland, a place that I now call home. Um, and what a wonderful country it is. Maybe you've been there. It is vastly different from here, the culture, the climate, the food. Yet over those three weeks, you begin actually to adjust to Peruvian life. You have to. The pace of life, the way of life, the diet, the desert terrain of Tacner, the heat, the dryness with it being placed just on the equator. A wonderful place with incredibly kind people who treated us like royalty. Well, I wonder if you've ever been far from home for an ex extended period of time. Or, if not, have you ever been away on a week's holiday? I'm sure you have. Well then, I guess, as you probably, like me, you neared the end of your time away, you might have said or thought something like this. I love it here, but I'm looking forward to getting home. Why do we say that? Well, it's probably not because we're not enjoying our time away. We probably are enjoying our time. But I think one of the reasons we feel that way is that we know home, if that makes sense. We know home. We know the privileges and comforts of home. We know security at home. We have family at home. The place in which we have established our lives the country and its culture makes us, in some ways, who we are. 
And so we look forward to home, don't we? Because we are thankful and in some ways proud of our citizenship. That's where we belong. That's our uh, place where we live. So why do I say all, this, say all this at this time? Well, citizenship was an even greater source of pride in the ancient world. So in the Greco-Roman world, uh, in which the Apostle Paul was writing to Ephesus, citizenship was highly personal. One's city provided one's identity. That's one way you could put it. That is how strongly citizenship meant to the recipients of this letter to the Ephesians. So the laws of the city, the customs of the city were all part of one's being. So let me establish my uh, first point here, and it's this. We are citizens of God's city. Look at verse 19, the first half of it. Let's read it together. Um, turn there if you can, if you've got a Bible. It says this. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens. You are fellow citizens with the saints. Paul is telling the Ephesians something incredible here, isn't he? He says, God, having brought them from alienation, as we looked at uh, last week and the week before, from alienation to adoption as sons and daughters of God, he is now telling them that, spiritually speaking, they have been made supernaturally, I suppose, citizens of God's kingdom. God's own city. Well, remember, it was nothing that they had done to achieve this. This was God's work. And he had stamped them with a seal of uh, approval um, over those believers in uh, Ephesus, stating that not only have they been raised from Death Valley, and not only have the walls of division been broken down as a way to God, but God, by his grace, has called the Christian a citizen of his own perfect and glorious city. See, in this verse... It is very clear to us that uh, it says that those who were once strangers now enjoy citizenship with the saints. That's what verse 19 says. And before we move on, let me say this. The citizenship in heaven is unimaginably superior to any local citizenship, even over the coveted Roman citizenship, if you look back in history. So the believer who reads this passage, those who read it 2,000 years ago, those who read it today and believe in Christ, well, if you didn't realise already that we are part of that supreme global and international community, that new race we talked of last week, those who believe in Jesus are part of that. So what did this mean for Jew and Gentile? Yes, last week we said that the peacemaker, Jesus, has brought unity to both groups, Jews and Gentiles. But what implications are now present uh, for these two groups, seemingly that they have the same citizenship? Well, I think the most wonderful thing uh, about this is their matching in their matching citizenship is the things they now have in common. Remember, Jew and Gentile did not associate themselves with each other. 
But now, being a new race and citizens of the same city, God's city, they have everything in common. And this is incredible. They have a a common language. That is a language of the heart that they all understood. They now amazingly had a common heritage as part of the commun- a community of faith. Thirdly, they they had a common allegiance that superseded all loyalties. Fourthly, I think we could say they had one common goal to glorify God. And fifthly, they even had the same final destination, the city of heaven. You may recall what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippians in chapter three of uh, chapter three of Philippians in verse twenty. He says this But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So for all those who believe, these things in common are the things we have in common with each other. So Let's move on now then to point two. Not only are we citizens of God's city, but we are members of God's family. Second half of verse 19. Let's look at that again. Let's read that then, shall we, together. Look at verse 19. It says this. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I think Paul here places another building block, if you like, on this wonderful picture of relationship with God. I think that's what he's doing. He's, if you haven't realized it, week on week on week, he's doing that. I think he's trying to tell the Ephesians and us today that citizenship is vital, but actually membership here in this family is greater still. You see, you can be a member of God's family without being uh, a citizen. Uh, you can't, sorry, you can't be a member of uh, the family unless you're a citizen uh, of his city. However, being a member of God's family, and as Paul says here, means you are now part of an intimate and far deeper relationship. See, as members of God's family, we are all used to the same uh, intimate name that we use for God, and that is Abba. And Abba. Um, you'll know is the uh, Aramaic word used for father and it actually was used to address God in an intimate and personal way but not only do we have one father who we all address by one name but we are of course now family all those who believe uh, are not left in isolation but are considered part of the family of Christians 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2 says this. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. Isn't that wonderful? Fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters. That is what those in this new race This city, this citizenship are. Yet again, like I said last week, 
our vertical relationship has a huge effect then on the horizontal. Very few people outside of the entirety of the Kimber family have ever experienced the noise and volume that we naturally create when we all get together. <laughs> Maybe you've experienced that with your family. I remember the first time Sarah, my wife, came to my grandma and granddad's house for Sunday afternoon tea. Yeah, Every week she used to lay the table for us. There was a spread of so much food just after we'd had Sunday lunch. Um, and that was every Sunday. And this table had numerous chairs around it, uh, all of which were crammed into a very small room, just big enough uh, that you could squeeze past behind the chairs to exit the room if you needed to. That's how full that room was, full of people and full of food. Anyway, when you, uh, or when we were all together, you you literally had to shout in order to be heard. Uh, for some reason, God gave the the Kimber men voices like foghorns. Uh, Sarah will attest to that. But my point is this. If we were all together out, say, at a restaurant, the noise level was never near the volume it was around my grandmother's table. Well, why? Why wasn't it the same out as it was in? Well, it was because we were family. And we were home where we could be ourselves. See, this is how the church should be. A place of reconciliation and acceptance where you can be your true, redeemed self. But sadly, so many times we've made it the opposite and frowned upon such uh, people, maybe they don't fit the mould and such behaviours. But maybe it's time to change in this area. But finally, then, not only are we citizens of God's city and members of God's family, but Paul tells the Ephesian church and us today that we are God's temple. Verse 20 and 22, or 20 through 22. Paul's final building block as he builds this wonderful picture of this new humanity, this new race, this Christian race and its temple and he paints it with these verses. Let's read verse 20 through to verse 22. So God's temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. And in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Well, three things here as we close out chapter 2. But before we look at those three things, let me remind us that 2,000 years, uh, it was the case that the Jerusalem temple had been the official focus of God's presence and God's people. That's where they would have gone. But now this new race needs a new temple. And a static, fixed one would not be adequate. So, the three things are needed. And the first one is this. The foundation. God's temple built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That's what it says, verse 20. But what does Paul mean here by apostles and prophets? 
Well, firstly, I think by the order of the words, he is talking of New Testament prophets rather than Old Testament prophets. Having said that, what we know of both apostles and prophets, which I think is the point today, is that they were teachers of God's word. Therefore, I think what Paul is saying here is that this new temple, this new race of believers, has a foundation in the form of God's word, and that especially of the New Testament. And as we know, if we tamper with any foundation, the temple, the building, will fall. Secondly then, and most, and most importantly probably out of these three, this new temple needs the cornerstone. Sometimes we think the foundation is the most important thing to the structure of any building. Well, however important it is, and it is important, it never succeeds the importance of the cornerstone, who in this case is Jesus. For centuries, the immensely rich imagery of the cornerstone has had the designation of the Messiah. From Old Testament, you can read that. It points to Jesus. Nearly every ancient Hebrew understood the importance of the cornerstone. You see, it determines the cornerstone. It determines the stability of the foundation and the character of the entire building. See, the building itself was erected in accordance to the cornerstone. The lay of the walls, the dimensions, were a result of the cornerstone. All other stones, all over bricks, were adjusted to it. Therefore, the new race, its shape and stability, will be determined by Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Well, praise God that his son is the cornerstone to the race to which we belong. Finally then, finally then this new temple needs building blocks. It's got the foundation, it's got the cornerstone and the building blocks. And those blocks, those stones, that's the Christian being joined together with other Christians, growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Last week I told you that the Jews had excluded the Gentiles from uh, worshipping in the temple by building literal barriers and putting signs above the doors threatening, threatening them with death if they ever enter such places of worship. But God, through Christ, has not only destroyed all division between Jew and Gentile, but now he is building the new temple from Gentile stone. Wow. God reached down into Death Valley and made them living stones. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5 says this. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What an incredible image Paul paints for us today. Jesus Christ, the massive and glorious cornerstone, causes the stones to glow. 
Next, the foundational teaching of the apostles and prophets is laid upon and around him. Jesus then gives the temple shape and strength. And the whole foundation reaches its full potential. Then the one living stone sits on top of another living stone. Set upon another as it turns into a radiant and uh, incredible temple of God. And it will be a bright and shining light for the glory of God. In which the Spirit of God dwells. This temple in whom the Spirit uh, of God lives is the Christian's. And what better time now for us to realise that the building that we meet in next door is just brick and mortar. A place that is good for really only shielding us from the elements. God is not waiting in those walls for us to come back. He is dwelling and active in all who believe by his spirit. This new temple was not static or grounded or immovable, but free and movable and glowing for the glory of God wherever he has placed it or you. So don't ever underestimate the power that he has put within us because he has been, uh, we have been given citizenship. We are members of God's family and he has established all who believe as a building block in this wonderful and precious new temple on which Jesus is the cornerstone, the chief cornerstone. Maybe this morning you do not belong to that temple. Maybe you are not a building block in this temple that God is building. You are not part of this new race. You are not a citizen in God's kingdom. You do not have the things in common that we do. Maybe your final destination is not heaven right now but it could be this Jesus this one who is the cornerstone as Paul uses this metaphor this morning to show that by him everything is put in place you can trust in him this morning he is reliable he is present he wants to walk with you and to be part of your life he wants you to commit your life to him and to serving him and he will be with you and bring you peace and joy and, a, and an abundant life and so you can turn to him this morning he is listening the God that we speak of he is ready his ear is attentive and this morning you could cry out to him for forgiveness of sins and commit your life to him today we pray that you would do that, that you would have a sense of haste as you do that and urgency because God is calling and a day will come where this window of opportunity will be gone and we will be with him, all who trust in him, that temple of God, we will be with him in that new place, that place where our citizenship is sure and it's called heaven. Will you be there with us? Will you join us? There will we celebrate together, will we praise God forever and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all they have done. I pray that will be true and a reality in your life this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who wrote this 
uh, as you inspired him to do so for the church of Ephesus. We thank you that we, today we have it in our hands and we can read it and understand it. Lord, we thank you that you have called us into uh, a new race. Thank you that you have given us citizenship in it, in your city. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be family. Lord, that you are our father, Abba, father. You, you have called us brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers that we together, although from different backgrounds, from different countries, from uh, different upbringings, Lord, we are all family. May the church look like that, we pray. And Lord, we thank you that we are a temple in which your spirit dwells. And so as much as we miss being together, Lord, we know that today from your word, your spirit abides with us because our bodies are the temple in which you have called your spirit to, uh, to live in. So Lord, thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your great faithfulness to us. And Lord, continue with us today and through this week, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.